You're listening to Fanthatracks. Flip through the galaxy of literature. Welcome to Cannon Fodder. Here is your host, Mark Dubo. You're listening to Cannon Fodder and a very special episode as we welcome to the show Tom Hola. Tom is the senior editor at Random House Worlds. He works on the Star Wars line of books. So here's myself and Tom talking all about the editorial process and what it takes to bring a Star Wars story to the bookshelves. Where did you get your start? Where was the first step on the road to where you are today? I don't think there was just one. <laughs> um, uh, but first, thank you so much for having me. That's uh, It's very lovely to be asked to come chat. Um, where I got started is that um, publishing is actually not really my first career. Publishing is my second career. So my first career was in business and finance. And um, when I decided that I wanted to change careers, my first step was I decided to go back to school. Uh, I went back to graduate school. Um, which is not necessarily something that a lot of people do or have to do. Publishing is um, not an industry where I see a ton of folks in like editorial marketing, et cetera, who have like graduate degrees. Most folks that I have met and worked with over the years just have um, undergraduate degrees, bachelor's degrees type things. But because I was um, transferring from an industry that really had very little to do with publishing and certainly had very little to do with the written word, um, I really felt like I needed to go back and get some extra education if for no other reason that than when anyone was looking at my resume and looking at someone wanting to be an editorial that they wouldn't think that I had accidentally applied to the wrong job or something. So I went to graduate school and over the course of going to graduate school for um, about a year and a half, uh, I uh, was studying writing and editing and all those things. Um, and I spent a lot of time trying to educate myself on the publishing industry, the different parts of the industry, who publishes what kinds of books and thus what places I'd want to work for. Um, and that summer uh, between the, the two segments of my um, graduate program, I actually applied for and got a job, got an internship working for Random House and the Delray Books folks, um, helping to make Star Wars and other things um, for a summer as an intern. And that was really like grad school was probably step one, but like that internship really was like step one, step one of getting to where I am today because ultimately that internship eventually uh, led to a full-time job uh, a few years down the road after that. So if you had to lay down in black and white on a piece of paper, what your role entails, almost as, as a CV, let's say, how would you delineate and work out what you do? Because to me, as a layman, it seems probably a lot more involved than than you might think. Sure. Um, there are, I would say there's, like, if I was going to lay it out, there'd be two halves to it. Uh, the first half is that I am a project manager. That's the first half of my job. Yeah. The second half of my job is that I am a person, an editor who works with authors to develop, hone, and create stories. And I think a lot of people probably think of a book editor or any kind of editor, but let's say book editor, yeah. uh, and imagine that the majority of your work 
is that latter piece sitting around, you're reading manuscripts, you're reading books, you're talking to authors, you're making notes in the margins of, of things. You got your red pen, uh, you know, or you got your, your Microsoft word comments. Um, that is, it is not a 50, 50 split. There's actually, I would say 70, 30, maybe 60, 40 at best that the project management side of my job is the, is takes up more of what I do. And what the project management side of the job is, as wonderful as it is to work with an author on honing a story and reading a manuscript and all that, well, at some point, there's an entire extra process. In fact, there are dozens of processes that need to go on to take that manuscript from a collection of pages in Microsoft Word or a pile of printed paper and turn it into a finished book that you buy off the shelf at your local bookstore that you go get from your local library or you order from you know a retailer of your choice in format of your choice and so the other part of being a book editor is you are the project manager of all of those processes you are the fulcrum you are the center of all those different processes and it is your job to shepherd the book through the publishing process to shepherd it through its um through its exposure to other departments within publishing, the marketing department, the production department, the publicity department, the sales department, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and take it through every single step and connect all those people along the way. Because you as the fulcrum are the person within the publishing house who knows the book the best. You're the person within the publishing house who is probably its biggest advocate. You have the closest relationship with the author. And so every single time another department is doing anything with the book, they probably have to involve you either to ask a question or to get some sort of confirmation or to pass some information along that you are going to ferry to somebody else. Um, and that is really the, the day to day meat of what I do. I spend most of my time day to day between working business hours, doing that, the reading, the editing, the relationship stuff with authors tends to happen, uh, outside of work. I kind of have homework almost every night. And not quite every night, but most nights. I have homework all the time. Um, and so uh, that is really what being an editor, being a book editor entails. It's those two halves, but they're really not equal. Um, there, are, there are certainly days, there are even weeks that go by where I don't really read anything. I'm only doing the project management stuff. I'm doing the administrative thing. Because an important thing to think about is a book editor is never working on one book. A book editor is going to be working on three four, five, maybe six plus books. And every single one of those books is at a different stage in the life cycle of being published. So you're, you know, you're working on things that are at their beginning, at their middle, at their end, and you're sort of doing all this stuff simultaneously, which is why being the project manager takes up so much more of your time because you're sort of balancing all this stuff. It's interesting that you mentioned working on multiple books because when you work with specific authors and of course every author is different every relationship is different and they're all at different points of the process towards turning it into a physical book that i can buy let's say you must have a relationship with different stories that some stories grab you tom as a reader as an editor grab you in different ways some excite you some intrigue you whatever it might be but i guess you have to almost take a step back and be the general looking down at the battlefield because, as you say, project management clearly and not something I'd considered is is such an important factor of what you do. You've not impassive. That's not the right word, but you know you've kind of got to look at it as a as a jigsaw puzzle that's got to be fixed in a way, I guess. Yeah, but those those two things sort of sit separately from each other. So the the project management side of it is certainly like 
a rather well, not rather, but it it's sort of like a more practical like yep, this has to get mm. fixed and this has to it's just like make the dominoes fall in the correct order. Um yeah. but it's not an it's not an impassionate thing because all of it is still connected to the fact that at the end of all this there's going to be the result is going to be a published creative work that is the sum total result of the like um, blood, sweat, and uh, you know emotional tears, sometimes real tears, but emotional tears <laughs> of uh, you know an author who has like sort of poured their creative self into something. Um, and so you know working on each book with each different author is you don't reinvent the wheel each time because if you did that, you'd never publish anything. But mm-hmm. it is reinventing the wheel or at least refocusing the wheel as far as the way that you work with the authors themselves and the relationships that you build over time. Um, an editor and their author, if it is a good working relationship, spend a lot of time talking to each other, like a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, and you spend a lot of time talking to each other in a rather open and I would say kind of vulnerable state because you are talking about an author's creative works, you're talking about their emotions, you're talking about themes and stories and things that really resonate them with them that oftentimes have a connection back to something in their personal life. And not only are you talking about all those things, but you are talking about them in a critical way. You're talking about them in ways that are like, this is good, but it's actually not quite working yet. And how can we improve it? And you're talking about, you are like working through them and digging through them. And so it is, I have found, almost impossible not to develop a really close relationship with an author that you're working with. Uh, And I know many of the authors that I've worked with and certainly ones that I've worked with multiple times. I know them as well as I know close friends and family members because we spend that much time talking to each other. In fact, I talk to some of my authors probably more than I talk to some uh, of my close friends, just in terms of the the, the, you know, the amount of times I talk to them in a given week or over a given period of time. And so you develop this really close, really intense relationship. Um, you get to know them outside of the work. You get to know what their home life is like a little bit, what their working life is like, uh, as many authors have jobs outside of their writing. Um, you get to know a lot about their experience as a person. Um, and so the process of being an editor is not just the management of a project or developing a book. It's also a practice in relationship management. It's a practice in um, in empathy management because you are so closely aligned with someone. It's one of the reasons why when someone asks me like, oh, what's your favorite book that you've worked on? I really have an impossible time answering that mm-hmm. question because the person who's asking that question, I know is asking me from a perspective of like, you know, what story was really cool or did something really awesome happen in development or this amazing idea come together. But every time I get asked that question, the only thing that I am thinking about is my relationship to each of those authors in making each of those books. And it's an impossible task for me to choose one of those as my favorite or my or the best because yeah. I am thinking about the like – hours that we spent chatting and the like late night zoom sessions that we had trying to solve a problem that we simply could not crack or the you know moments of getting to celebrate together at a convention after working on a book for a year and never being in the same room until the moment the book's on sale and we're standing together at you know the comic-con booth um so it's why like answering questions about my favorite projects or my favorite books that i've worked on are so hard because for me it's actually a question about the authors it's not a question about the book that's that's interesting in the sense that I I used to write for StarTrek.com and my editor over there was had been there forever and a day 
and was a fantastic fellow. And he'd worked for Starlog magazine and he'd been there and done it, got called Ian Spelling. And when I first started, he was so critical. I really I was not used to it. After three months, I welcomed it like I couldn't believe that I welcomed it, the the wisdom and the other perspective. And I guess when you're working with different authors, uh, you've kind of said it, it, it's unique to everybody, but how can it be very different? And on that sort of point, because you're working with different authors at different points at the same time, how do you just keep it all together in your head? Uh, you just stay as organized as you can. Um, one of, uh, one of the, probably the number one skill when someone asks me like, Oh, I want to get into book publishing. I want to be a book editor. Like what skills do I need? What, what education do I need? The number one skill you need is being organized. Hmm. Um, and the good thing is the great thing is that you can be organized in whatever organizational style works for you. If it works awesome. You don't have to ascribe to a particular one. So um, basically, I just keep notes of everything and I keep track. I have a grid where I track every book that I'm working on and I am constantly updating the grid about like, where is that book in the, in the, in the life of developing it into a book? Like, where is it? If it's at the beginning, it's like, cool. Have I signed up an author? Is the contract signed? It's like, I have check boxes that I go through. And every single time one of my books reaches a particular milestone, I go into that and I mark it and I make notes about like where we are. That way I can, at a glance, always know every book that I'm working on. I can know where I am just by looking at one grid in two minutes. But also for every single book, I just keep really detailed copious notes for every type of meeting that I'm in. So if I have a conversation with the production team and something comes up about the way that we're going to produce the book, oh, we're putting a map in front of this book, oh, this book's gonna have these weird bells and whistles uh, involved in the, the book, I make notes about that. Every single time I have a marketing publicity meeting, I make notes about what the marketing publicity teams are doing. It's really kind of just a practice in note-taking and organizing and then sitting down with your schedules, your book schedules and saying, where are the um, where are the deadlines? Where are like the due dates for all the different things for these different books? And then mapping out your work and being like, well, these two books are going to come in at the same time, but book A has a deadline here and book B has a deadline here. Okay, I'm going to have to work on book A here and book B here. Um, and you sort of just I'm constantly doing little tests to make sure that like whatever I'm working on is the thing I need to be working on because of the fact that. I will have books that overlap each other. The manuscript for book A will come in at the same time that the outline for book B is in. Which of those two things that I work on first? And you know, having to figure out which of the which of those two things there. And sometimes the answer is uh, figure out a way to do both um, because that's the way <laughs> book publishing works. But it is a like, it is a manic exercise in organization. If you are not organized, I don't think you can be a book editor. I mean. Mm -hmm. You can. You're probably not going to have a good time. And all of the people that you work with are probably also not going to have a good time. Um, because if the project manager is not organized, then the project is not organized. Um, but it's just a, pre a pretty manic exercise in keeping yourself as diligently organized and constantly like testing your organization and testing your theory on like, is this the order I should be working on things? You know, or is the schedule working? Um, it's kind of using that all the time, constantly, um, because, like I said, you know, you have five, six books, and they're all going to overlap, and so you have to be able to know like when to compartmentalize, when to shift off a book, be like, okay, I can work on this for an hour, and then I'm going to go to this for an hour, 
or to say, you know what, Tuesday today is I'm only working on book A today. Nothing else is happening. I got to hammer out some stuff on book A and then we'll get it off the, get off my plate and then I'll move on to other things. Like that, that's really the task. Um, and, um, it's the kind of thing that you learn. You don't necessarily learn how to be organized though. You can learn how to be better organized over time, but you learn early on in your career in publishing as like an editorial assistant by watching your, your editors, watching your supervisors, you learn about how to recognize what parts of a book um, or what stage a book is at, like how to then balance, you know, when you have multiple of those and be like, oh, okay, that issue takes precedence over this kind of issue, or you should do this before doing that. Um, and that that's actually a big part of like what you learn as a young person in publishing is you sort of learn how the different parts go together and thus how you can organize them when you've got three or four things that all have the same deadline and you have to figure out, well, uh, what order am I doing these in? This is Charles Soule. You're listening to Fanta Tracks. George Lucas was famous for saying, get it all filmed, I'll fix it in the edit. I'm assuming from what you've said that in the publishing world, that can't quite work in the same way. If you've got an issue at the crux of the story, you can't go and write a book and then fix it afterwards. Am I right in saying that or or can it be fixed? Um, It can and it has been, but it probably shouldn't when it comes to making um, licensed books. So books based on a brand or an IP, like a Star Wars book is a, what we call a licensed book, a Star Trek book, a licensed book, et cetera. You know, like any, any book that you've ever seen that's based on like a, you know, movie, comic book, video game property is quote unquote a licensed book, just so that I don't confuse anyone with that term. It can be fixed in the edit and tons of stuff is fixed in the edit, but by and large, that broad thing of just like, get it on the page, we'll fix it in post, we'll fix it in the edit doesn't really work for a couple of reasons. When you've got something, when you've got a um, highly connected, highly interconnected across tons of different mediums, uh, world like Star Wars, Star Trek, etc., you can't just throw things down on a page and then fix them and edit because odds are the things you just threw down on that page wildly disconnect, wildly contradict, and wildly do not fit into that larger tapestry. If you're going to add something to that large tapestry, you kind of have to plan it out before you do it. So when it comes to the kinds of books that I work on, since I work pretty much only on licensed publishing, um, we make outlining a really integral integral and required part of the process. Now, some authors are not outliners. And if you are an author who's only working on your own stuff, you know, you just work on like what I, you know, I prefer to it as like original fiction. It's just like you work on your own things. You work on your own worlds, your own series. You're not beholden to anyone else. It's just your stuff. You probably can do a bit more of, eh, we'll just get it down on paper and fix it in post because you're the only one who has to worry about it. You know, it's yeah. like, there's only you. There's not also the movie and the TV show and the six video games and the board game, et cetera, for you to <laughs> be fitting in. It's just your stuff. You probably can do that. And I do know of authors in the original space who are like, their very first drafts are pretty messy and pretty not unintelligible, but definitely not publishable. And over the course of edits, you do kind of fix it in the edit. But for the kinds of books that I work on, and specifically, you know, using Star Wars as an example, you can't really do that for two reasons. One of them is the one that I just sort of mentioned, which is there's a lot of other things going on in Star Wars. And if you write something that completely contradicts and conflicts and messes around with everything, well, you're not going to be able to publish that. You're going to have to fix it and rewrite it. And the second reason, which 
folds into the first reason is you don't have that much time. Uh, publishing, particularly for licensed projects, tend to happen on a shorter window than originals projects. The broad reasoning for that is very often a licensed project is tied, its release is tied into a release date that is tied to something else going on with the brand. An anniversary, a movie, a video game, a TV show, other books in a larger series, other things that other publishers are doing. Like you usually have this window where you're like, we really need to publish this thing here because that's the best time for it to be published. That's when people are going to be most excited or paying the most attention or where we think it will have, uh, it will do the most good. Or our thing is so connected to something else that you need to read it then because that's how you'll, you know, better fully enjoy this other book or this game or, or, you know, coming out of a movie, whatever, any, you know, any of those things. And so you only have, you basically don't have the luxury of being able to delay or extend or move the release date on something. It certainly does happen, but it tends to happen less and it tends to be harder to do that. So for all of those reasons, we have people outlined at the start of our process. And the reason being, Mark, is that if you and I are working on a book together and you wrote a five-page outline, and let's say that your five-page outline just didn't fit and work with the tapestry that was going on, well, it's way easier for me to come to you and say, Mark, I need you to rewrite this five-page outline than to come to you a few months later and say, hey, Mark, see this 400-page manuscript? I need you to rewrite this 400-page manuscript, right? We just don't have time for you to do that. It's a, it's a real wasted exercise, right, for someone to have to rewrite 400, 300, 400 pages versus five pages, 10 pages at most. Um, so we have people outline. Now, stuff still gets fixed in the edit. There will sometimes, we'll look at an outline, and what we'll sometimes do is we'll circle something in an outline, and we'll be like, you know... This totally works in terms of the tapestry, and it seems to fit with the story that we want to tell or the themes or whatever, but I'm not really sure how this is going to look on the page because ultimately an outline is not a book. And so something that you write three sentences of is an outline, the way that it's going to look within a manuscript, you know, which it may be playing out over the course of 30 or 40 pages, multiple chapters. Sometimes we'll circle stuff and we'll say, you know what? Try it out, see what happens, and we'll fix it. We'll quote unquote fix it in the edit if it doesn't work. So there are like I would say smaller moments of that, but on the on the macro, you're not fixing a whole book in post. You know, not fixing a whole book in the edit. You'll be fixing little things. So it'd be like, you know what? This part of the outline is still a little soft. Yeah, the 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 plot here. There's still a little bit of a plot hole here. We don't quite have the character motivation right. But we still use the outline to kind of like identify those things so that going into the edit, we already know what to be looking for rather than in the edit having to be like, oh, this character motivation isn't working and then having to divine a solution. You kind of go into it already being like, okay, we knew that the motivation wasn't quite there. Let's look in what exists in the manuscript and let's see where can we dial it up, et cetera. And most of my authors usually will tell me in the outline stage, or even when they send me a manuscript, they'll usually add a little note to me and they'll say, hey, by the way, um, you know, I'm really worried about this thing in the book. Like, I think the arc for this character isn't quite working. Can you pay special attention to that? So we do those kinds of things because you can fix localized things in the edit. But as I've sort of just uh, ranted at length about, you can't fix the whole thing in the edit. You don't really have time for that. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, Bookmark Fathatracks.com for Star Wars News 24 7, 365. 
when you have a relationship with a specific author that during the process of writing the book, and clearly beyond that, because you become friendly with the authors and, and a relationship is built for hopefully the next time you work together, that you become their closest confidant in this project. So when you hit, let's say, an issue or a problem, how tricky, how involved is it for you to get involved, to come up with alternate ideas? Is that a welcome thing? Is that part of your process? Is that part of what you do? How involved can you get? That's what I'm trying to say. How involved can you get in, and I'm waggling the air quotes, fixing a problem? I mean, quite involved. I mean, that's part of my job as an editor is to help solve problems in the text. Um, now, how that manifests is going to be different writer to writer. Some writers, and this usually comes down to like, if it's a writer I've worked with a bunch, then I already sort of know we've got a relationship and I sort of already understand the way that they like to work best. If it's someone I've not really worked with before, um, I might go ask editors who have worked with them before because I know a lot of editors or not or. And I usually at the very beginning of a project with a new author, we'll sit down and just chat with them a little bit about like, how do you like to be edited? What what kind of, what kind good experiences have you had? What poor experiences have you had? Just to understand a little bit. And then I share like, here's how I here's how I tend to like editing. What is that? Does that work for you? If not, and I will customize the way that I edit to whatever they want. Um, and so when a problem comes up, certainly as an editor, my job is to help identify those pain points, to say, hey, this isn't working, and to not just identify the pain point, but identify and help identify for the author the why hey, this isn't quite working yet because we haven't earned this moment. Or, hey, this isn't quite working yet because it's confusing and the reason that it's confusing is X, Y, Z. So really kind of interrogating the prose, interrogating the writing, and identifying not just the places where it could be better, but the why it needs to be better. And then we get to what I think is the crux of your question, which is, well, how do we make it better? Hmm. That will go, that depends author to author. I have some authors who are like, if you have ideas, I want to hear them. Write them in the margins, send me ideas. Oh, we could have the person do this, or they could say that, et cetera. I have some authors who, because those authors often use those examples and ideas, often as starting points for their own brainstorming, a jumping off point. Well, what if we did this? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, we did that and they did this. Oh, or we could take that and, you know, they, they use it as a, a kind of a kickstart for, for their own, uh, their own uh, creative process. I have some authors that I work with who don't really want suggestions. And it's not because those people are like rude or they don't value input or they're just like, I am the genius. I'm the only one who can write this thing. It's just that they very much prefer to sort of do their creative ideation on their own. So what they want more from me is identify where the problem is and identify the why of the problem and identify the scope of the problem and then let me ideate on the solution and then I'll bring you the solution editor and we'll then workshop the solution together. I have some authors who are like that, which is totally fine. Um, and then some authors who are like in the middle, as in sometimes they will say, hey, I really can't crack this one. You know, do you have any ideas? And sometimes the, they'll be like, ah, this is what I want to do and we'll hone from there. Ultimately, my job is not to write the book and I am not a writer. I do not uh, think of myself as a writer and I have no desire to be a writer. So I am not a writer. So I ultimately am not writing books for authors. I am not writing, you know, I am not being like, ah, I'll just rewrite this hundred pages of the book that's not working for you. Um, but I bring them ideas and the, the thing that a good editor does, and I think that I'm a good editor, uh, is um, 
in bringing an idea to an author, you want to bring an idea, not just that works and solves the problem that you're addressing, but if you're bringing an idea to an author, specifically if you're bringing suggestions for like actual lines of dialogue or lines of prose, not just like, what if we had this person punch that person, uh, which by the way, solves problems sometimes uh, in, in stories, <laughs> uh, is that you, you actually need to present it in a way that fits the voice of the character and the voice of the author. Like you need to suggest prose that fits the character and that fits what the, how the author, it, it preserves the authorial voice. There are words in books that I have edited. There are like lines of dialogue or lines of description that are my lines that I wrote and said, hey, what if we, what if we presented it like this? But no one should ever be able to go through any book that I've edited and pick out even one line that's like, oh, your editor wrote that line. That's not your yeah. line, author. That should never happen. And it never will because it just won't. You won't. Nobody, you can't do it. Um, you'd, have to, you'd, you'd have to just blindly guess and be correct. Um, so it's a real, one of the things, the skills that you hone as an editor is really being able to interrogate the writing and analyze the writing that you're working with and be able to provide edits that help it inhabit and preserve that authorial voice. And the more that you do that, and the more that you're able to display that, what I find is the more than that authors will be open to having you actually make real suggestions, because they will see and they'll understand as they, they all sort of intrinsically do that, like, you as the editor are not trying to like, use them as the puppet to write your story, that mm -hmm. you are merely there to help them create the best version of their story. Um, and that takes a bit of work, particularly when you haven't worked with an author for um, before, or you haven't read a ton of their stuff before. Like you have to learn how someone writes. You know, you have to learn their own voice and their own writing quirks, so that then you can help to um, adapt and and uh, you know enhance them. Once a project is brought through all these processes and gets to the point where you, the author, Lucasfilm, if it's a Star Wars book, sit down and go, "We're happy with this," and you sign it off. And it goes off to the the printers wherever that may be. How how or rather what is these? And is there a general time difference between signing the book off and sending it away to when it comes back and there it is, bang on the cover, and it's good to go? What's the sort of time that you're looking at for that process? Um, sort of. It will depend, and certainly if we're talking about like a novel versus like a big reference book or whatever. But if we're talking about the primarily novels, hmm. um. Generally speaking, between the moment that you hit, you quote unquote, hit print at the printer to a book being ready to go and it's final and it's, you know, either on its way or it's already sitting in a bookstore waiting to be bought. <sighs> You're looking at um, two to three months, probably. Okay. Um, and a month of that is honestly always preserved just for the shipping of a book from its printer to the warehouses and the bookstores and et cetera. Um, but it's usually a couple months between hitting print and um, then a book being pretty much on sale or ready, just about to be on sale. Um, two to three months, uh, obviously every publisher in the world loves to extend that as much as they can in order to account for any number of ridiculous calamities that could occur uh, or delays <laughs> that could occur. But for novels, it's something like that. Um, obviously, for something like a reference book or a big art book, first of all, most of those books aren't even printed. You know, uh, I'm in the United States, so like 
Yeah. Books that are like novels are printed in the United States. Like we we print our our novels here, but like reference books and big art books are not. They are printed overseas, and so they have to be printed, and they have to be put on a boat, and they have to come over on the boat, and they have to sit in a port, and they have to be taken off the boat, and they have to be sent to the warehouses, and then they have to be sent to the bookstores. That can take six, nine months, maybe even more, depending on the type of book it is, and also the the part of the year that you start to produce the book in, because there are different holidays, particularly all over the world. There are different holidays, and there are other there are weather factors. There's all sorts of things that can impact that. So, um, but for just like a normal prose novel, eh, about three months, um, four months, somewhere in that range between hitting print and then someone being able to like go to their bookstore and buy it. Hey, this is Daniel Jose Older, and you are listening to Fanta Tracks. So when you've gone through all of that, and the book is out, and let's say New York Comic Con comes along, and you're able to sit down and moderate a panel, as you did at this year's show, with the authors, how satisfying for you is it to, after being in the trenches with these guys for all this time, to be able to just sit down with a crowd and celebrate the work that's been done and just enjoy the moment? It's super enjoyable to watch the authors get to enjoy their moments because being an author is such a solitary activity. Mm. It's just you and your keyboard or your notebook. And it is, it can be quite a lonely process. And particularly if it was a long process, if there were a lot of edits and revisions, if there was a lot of, we need to fix it in the edit, if there was a lot of, you know, as much rewriting as was possible given your schedule, like, if it was a particularly harder or more arduous um, edit and development, then moments like that really mean everything because it's really that moment that you get to sit around with other people who feel the same or a similar joy that you do about it and get to talk about it with people. When previously the only persons that you've talked to about it are your editor, maybe close family members, your book agent, and like your dog or your cat. That's pretty much the only people that you probably had a chat with about it. Um, And for me, uh, getting to sit next to an author or get to watch an author or authors experience that is the really satisfying thing. I'm not, I actually don't really, um, don't really enjoy being uh, in the center of uh, the center of attention. So, like, I don't really enjoy moderating panels. You were very um, good at it. I've got to say, you were very well, good. Thank you. That's mostly because I um, am very worried about wasting people's time, and so I treat it like I am studying for a final exam back in school. Um, but it is. I, I don't. I wouldn't say that I'd out and out really enjoy it. Um, uh, but so I do like being at shows and being near to authors to be able to like to be able to see the author sort of receive all that adulation and receive the the sort of warmth of people who have either read their thing and already enjoyed it or haven't read it yet because it's not coming out or it's, or it's just out but are so excited for it that they want to share the warmth of that excitement you know with the author and the warmth of the appreciation for the author's effort and work even if they haven't yet gotten in their hands or they're only getting it just then and they you know they get to meet them um i really love to do that um and that's it's really wonderful. It's really satisfying. It's a also a wonderful way to celebrate the entire process with an author. When again, like in, unless I go to a convention and see an author at a convention or or a book event or or something like that, I never am in the same room as any of my authors when I work on a book. I have I have never sat in the same room with Timothy Zahn and worked on a Thrawn book because that's not the way that book editing really works. I have never sat in the same room as 
um, you know, Delilah Dawson or Mike Chen or any of the writers that I've worked with across any number of books. We've never done that. Everything is always via email, Zoom calls, text messages sometimes, depending on the author, uh, phone calls, again, depending on the author. So that is sort of our moment to have a little celebration or party of our own, even if that party is just us standing behind a booth or, or on a panel, um, celebrating the sort of totality of the work that it took to to get us get us to that point. So I really love it. And then, you know, I also love it because I was and still am a reader of all of these things. And I was and still am a person who would go to New York Comic Con or Celebration or any other sort of convention and be a person sitting in the audience or being a person in line at the book signing or coming to visit a book booth to buy something. And so I enjoy being able to now go and do that from the other side of the table um, because I used to do that all the time. I still do it, not quite as often as I, I did uh, before this job, since I'm usually now working at those conventions, but uh, that th those interactions are like precious to me um, uh, for for a lot of different reasons and, and for a lot of different people. Um, so, yeah, I, I dig those things a lot, um, even though they're they're a lot of work. <laughs> they're a lot yeah. of extra work. Like on top of all the other work, they're a lot of extra work. Um, and there are a lot of nights that I like run home from a shift at New York Comic Con and actually like run home because I have to go edit a book. Um, and then I'll run back the next day to do another shift. And you've been very generous with your time. But one final question, uh, and I'm making an assumption, I'm assuming you're a, you're a Star Wars fan. When you first got into editing and you worked your way towards the Star Wars line, how did you, and I'm, again, I'm assuming you were a Star Wars fan before you started working on Star Wars books. Were you able to sort of separate the two things, your your love of the, the franchise and the work that you're putting into it from a creative point of view? How did that work for you? Yeah, uh, so I absolutely was. Um, and I was well aware. I was not just a Star Wars fan, but I was a Star Wars book fan. I was a Star Wars book reader. So mm. uh, there was a lot of intention in me wanting to come work here and work on these books. I was like, I, somebody gets to do that? Cool. I want to do that. Uh, it was pretty much as simple as that. Uh, um <laughs> and uh, but very early on, I, I was very cognizant of this when I was applying for internships and jobs because I didn't want to come off as just like, oh, he just wants to work here because he's a Star Wars fan and gets mm -hmm. to, he'll get to do like whatever he wants with Star Wars, which by the way is not true. But you know, I didn't want that to be anyone's perception of me as a candidate. And then certainly once I got like an internship or a job, and so very early on. I made a very specific decision and then was also helped in making this decision by my early mentors and editors in that like the role of being an editor, because it is not your book, it's not your story, you are not the writer. And when you're working on a license thing, like it's not your thing because you are merely a custodian of a thing that belongs to someone else. That ultimately you have to separate the things that you like and dislike about a particular fandom or brand or whatever from the things that you can recognize make for a good story or contribute to a good story so i it is important to me that like when i am making an editorial decision when i'm making an editorial choice or an editorial comment that i'm not doing it because like well i don't really like that character or that character is boring. You know, like I don't really like that character just because I like this other character. That I'm making all of those choices informed by 
we should change this because it will improve this book. And the story you, dear author, are trying to tell is X. And if we change this, that will make X better. That will get you closer to X. That will take X from the current level it's at and it will dial it up to 11, you know? Um, and I try to do that as much as I can. And I try to, I also, every once in a while, I will make a comment that is like, I am making this comment because this is what I like or don't like about Star Wars. And I want to see more or less of that. But whenever I do that, I always preface it as being like, this is a comment made because of my personal preference. And mm -hmm. then I will make the comment and we'll leave it up to other folks to decide if we're going to enact that comment or utilize that, that suggestion. But I always preface it as being like, this one is just my personal opinion. I don't have a good bit of expertise or a good rationale for why we do this other than I would like it. Which, you know, one of the fun things I get about getting to work on these brands and these things, whether you're an author or an editor, is that every once in a while, yeah, you know, you get to grab the character that maybe only you care about and you get to tell a little story with them, right? Like, that is part of the, the wonderful part of doing this, but that is not the core of the responsibility because you're just a custodian. So you get to play with some of the toys or some of the characters or some of the things that maybe you really care about that other people, if someone else were in that chair, probably wouldn't, or maybe they would pick something else. But the whole point is not to just make things that only you will care about. Um, and so it has, it's never really been hard because it was something I was always thinking about from the beginning, but it's also mm -hmm. never something that ends. Like every single project, I always am sitting down and being like, okay, what, how do I how do I feel about this in terms of my personal relationship to this particular brand, Star Wars or whatever? And then how is that going to manifest in terms of the ways that I need to be cognizant about my editorial suggestions? Uh, because it totally happens. It it it's impossible for it not to happen. Anyone who says that it's never happened to them or that that's not something I have to deal with is just either not telling the truth or really not really paying attention as much to the work that they're doing. Because it happens all the time. There have totally been books where I'm just like. I don't, you know, the, the main theme of this book, that's not, that's not my jam because that's not the thing that I love most about Star Wars or this other thing, but that's fine. You still have to, you still do the work and you still want to make the book as good as you can because for someone else, that is their jam. That's their favorite thing. That's the thing that matters to them the most. So it can be a little challenging and it's one of those things that when folks move in from being a fan to being even tangentially professionally related to the thing they're a fan of, that's maybe the first thing that you have to learn is yeah. how to compartmentalize, how to separate those two things, um, or at the very least, how to recognize when you're making a, let's say, fanish a fan comment, not to deride fan comments, those are great, like a fan comment versus a quote-unquote professional comment, but uh, it's totally doable, you know, it's, it's totally doable. Fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've given me a perspective on what you do that I did not expect, so it's given me a whole new appreciation for for what not only what you do but what any editor does because as you say it, you sit apart from the process but completely integral to it so it's it's more involved than i ever imagined so thank you so much for your time my pleasure thank you so much for having me thank you for joining us for this special edition of cannon fodder for more star wars podcast content be sure to subscribe to fan radio on your podcatcher of choice subscribe to all our social media at links.fanfotracks.com be sure to be checking out fantatracks.com daily for all your latest Star Wars news. And you can also join us live on YouTube for Good Morning Tatooine every Sunday evening at youtube.com forward slash fantatracks TV. 
Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's Making Tracks. <laughs> 